I'll read verses 1 through 11, and then we will look at really verses 9 through 11. Talk about in the Spirit. This is God's Word. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from, in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, as we confessed, this is Your Word. Your Spirit must attend Your Word and apply it to our hearts. We pray that You would do that. Empower and enable me to preach Your Word. Accurately, faithfully, truly. Empower us to hear your word as your word, to treasure it, believe it, trust it, seek to understand it, and live in its light. Live faithfully and growingly faithfully, following Christ. My prayer this morning is that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word, that you would do your work in each of our hearts. We look to you and give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. My mom was a nurse, and that had a lot of blessings and benefits to it. She had a lot of medicine in the cabinet. But my mom was also really good at giving shots. I hate shots. I hated them then, I hate them now. I don't want needles sticking in me if, it's, if I can help it for any reason. I know sometimes it's necessary. My mom knew I hated shots. So on those mornings when I would awake and seek to feign illness that I might skip school, she would say, okay, fine. You must need a shot. And she'd go start rumbling in the cabinet where I knew that penicillin and those needles were. 
And suddenly a miraculous thing would happen to me. I was better. Oh, I feel much better. I think I can make it after all. But when I was really sick, and she would give me medicine or give me a shot, you know, those were just ways getting the medicine into me, whether it's through my mouth or through that needle. I would get better. The medicine being put inside me, ordinarily speaking, would change me from sick to healthy. We're going to talk about a much better medicine, a much better healer, a much better inside reality that transforms us today. We're continuing our discussion of the Spirit of God in sanctification or growth in grace. And we're seeing from this text that if the Spirit is in you, He will be healing you spiritually. He will be transforming you into the image of Christ. That's His primary purpose in your life. So we've been, as I said, we've been studying the book of Romans. We've seen Paul show us that we're all lost and need a Savior. We've seen him show us that Christ is that Savior and that through faith in him and faith alone in Christ, we are converted, justified. When we're justified, we are forgiven for all of our sins and accepted as righteous for the righteousness of Christ that he imputes to us. So then we've come to this section on sanctification. See, salvation is not only coming to faith in Christ and being accepted into the family of God, but it's also in another aspect growing in grace. So we're talking about that growing in grace portion. Now the power of sin has been broken. It's reign over us broken and now we're being transformed into the image of Christ. And Paul gave us a theology of growth in grace in the first 11 verses of chapter 6. And he's begun to apply that and tell us what our relationship is to the law, show us the continuing struggle. And now he's begun in chapter 8 to show us the Spirit as the answer to that stalemate between this renewed new creation Spirit in me and the decaying, dying body that I still live in, the flesh, the place where sin remains in me. So we're talking about life in the Spirit. We started with a, just a sound dose of no condemnation. And then we've seen that the Spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. That, that Christ has been crucified for us and He has been crucified to forgive us, yes. But in verse 4, in order that we might walk in righteousness. And in verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And that will be completed and perfect when we're glorified. Until then, we will be being sanctified. So last time we talked about our mindset, setting our minds on the Spirit. And this week we're, gonna, we're just going to continue on the heels of verse 8 where it said, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And we're going to make a transition right there. And the main point of what I want us to see in verses 9 through 11, if you are in Christ... You have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling in you and giving you new life. If you are in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling in you and giving you new life. Really clear 
Easy points. First point, if you are in Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Look in verse 9. Look how it starts. Look how he turns and, and, and looks to the people he's writing to and says, You, those he, he's writing the epistle to in, in Romans, the Christians in Rome. He's writing to them and, and writing this gospel to them. He's writing to believers, therefore. And he says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are not in the flesh anymore. You're not just flesh. You're not the natural person. You're not the one devoid of the Spirit. You're not lost anymore. But you are in the Spirit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And then we get that little if. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now we've talked a lot about what it looks like to be in the flesh and last time when we talked about the mindset of the flesh that mindset is making the flesh the object of my attention, desire and pursuit. So the flip of that is making the spirit, the mindset of the spirit is making the spirit the object of my attention, desire and pursuit. So I'll point you back to that uh, sermon from last week. But we get a clarifying statement here. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God... So what, what determines that? Whether or, not the present, whether or not the Spirit is there. If you have the Spirit, you're in the Spirit. We're not talking about any kind of experiences or demonstrations here. If you have the Spirit, look at it, you're in the Spirit. So that would naturally make us say, well, okay, who has the Spirit? We want to know the answer to that question. And he gives us a clarifying statement. Look at it. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Interesting. Now, just a quick side note. When he says Spirit of Christ, he's not equating the person of Christ, the Son with the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not making those two the same thing. He is saying that it is the same God, that Christ is active, Spirit is active in your salvation, and that as the Spirit is Christ, we have in you, that's how Christ dwells in your heart by faith. He's just making that, showing us, linking together the Christ and the Spirit, our salvation and the Spirit. But he, look, what, look what he says. He says, he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, we're talking about the Holy Spirit here, does not belong to him. Flip it. Flip it. See what it's saying. What is the, the opposite and true thing about that? Anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who is in Christ, anyone who has this faith union with Christ that we've been talking about, that God has brought them to faith in Jesus, you're trusting in Christ, so therefore you are in Christ, in union with him. So anyone who is in Christ, who belongs to Christ, who's in faith union with Christ, has the Spirit permanently indwelling them. So anyone, there's the delineation. Really it's as simple as not converted, converted. In the flesh, 
in the Spirit. Not having the Spirit, having the Spirit. If you are, here, listen to me. If you're in Jesus Christ, if, if you are a Christian, if you're a child of God, you have the Spirit of God permanently indwelling you. He's not coming and going. He's not ra- waiting for you to moan and cry and get rid of enough stuff so He'll come and take up powerful resonance in you. If, the, if you're in Jesus, if you're trusting in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. And I might seem like I'm beating a dead horse, but you're not going to trust and rely on anyone that you don't really believe is there. You're not going to walk in the Spirit if you're not sure if you have the Spirit. And my clarifying question to let you know whether or not you have the Spirit is, are you trusting in Christ alone this morning? If you are, no matter how you feel, Christ is dwelling in you by His Spirit. The Spirit has taken up permanent residence in you. See, this is one of the things, uh, Christ purchased the Spirit for us. The promise of the Holy Spirit to those who trust in Jesus. See, Christ came, the Son of God came, Jesus Christ came. He was the eternal Son of God who took on a human nature in the incarnation. He lived under His own law, fulfilling all righteousness for the glory of the Father and the good of His people. He took our guilt upon Himself. And when He went to that cross, He was paying the penalty that we deserve to pay. He was paying our penalty as His people. He took the wrath, the condemnation due us upon Himself. He suffered horribly physically. But the spiritual suffering was infinitely worse as he took the equivalent of our, all of our eternal hell upon himself and drank that cup dry for us. Christ, the Bible summarizes it, Christ died for our sins. He was buried, he really died. And he rose again the third day for our justification and salvation. For God so loved the world, children, you know the verse, adults, you know the verse, it's not just a kid's verse. This is the manner in which God loved the world. This is how He did it. He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes into Him, literally that's what it reads, whoever trusts in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And part of having everlasting life is having the Holy Spirit permanently indwell my heart. Anyone, look back at 9b, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. What does that mean? There are no Christians who do not have the Holy Spirit. And when you get Him, you don't get a piece of Him. Remember, wherever God is there in the fullness of His being omnipresence. If you are a Christian, you're in the Spirit. If you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. Whether or not you believe that and leaning upon that and walking in that strength, that's one thing. But what I want us to see this morning is that what determines whether or not we are in the Spirit and what determines whether or not we have the Spirit is whether or not we have faith in Jesus. Because if you're a Christian... You're in the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. There are no Christians who are not in the Spirit. There are no Christians who don't have the Spirit. 
There are not two levels of Christians. The lower life and the higher life. The first work of grace and the second work of grace. It's all God's work of grace. It's an act of grace when we're justified and His work of grace in us when we're sanctified that we get the Spirit of Christ in us who begins to transform us into the image of Christ. There's not one level where you come to faith but do not yet have the Spirit and then later you get the Spirit. Let me prove that from Scripture and the same person talking here, writing here, writes in Ephesians. Right? Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. Speaking to the, the believers there in Ephesus and through them to us, he says, In him you also, watch this, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy Spirit, with the promised Holy Spirit. Notice here it's not the Spirit sealing you. The Spirit is the seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who? The promised Holy Spirit is the seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who? Is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire the possession of it to the praise of His glory. See, the presence of the Spirit, the fact that we have God's Spirit dwelling in us as, as a result of our conversion, as a result of coming to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is God's guarantee. It's His seal. It's His stamp of ownership on us. It's His guarantee that the work He's begun, He's going to finish. And we someday will be in those new bodies we desire, in the new heavens and the new earth. No more sin and misery. No more death, crying, suffering, or pain with Him in pure and true joy forever. But we all know we're not there yet. And to live in this fallen world without losing our minds and to live effectively for Christ in this fallen world, we have to be trusting in the fact that we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. The Spirit is the seal given to you, God's stamp of ownership upon you. Paul wants believers to know that they are permanently indwelt by God's Holy Spirit who is powerfully at work in them. God wants you to know <clears throat> that you are permanently indwelled with God's Holy Spirit who is powerfully at work in you. That's how he prayed. Look at, we read 13 to 14 in Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at 15 to 20. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, God's work of grace in you, remembering you in my prayers. Okay, now he's going to tell us what he's praying for. Watch this, verse 17 and following. Here's what we're praying for. That God... The God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit. Listen, I think that should be a little s. May give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Because He's not praying that He would give them the Holy Spirit because they already have the Holy Spirit. As we've seen above. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. Watch this, what He wants us to know. Paul is praying that the believers there would know and, you know... Paul is praying and Christ is praying that we will know these things. Watch this. I want you to know 
to the hope to which he has called you. Number one, he wants us to dwell in that gospel hope, having our hope fully set on the grace of God in Christ Jesus. And what are the riches of your, his glorious inheritance in the saints? Co-heirs with Christ. We inherit everything with him. And what is the... Now watch this. This is what he wants us to know. Not to get to know that we have already. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places. Believers, I want you to know the hope you have in Jesus. I want you to know of your glorious inheritance and I want you to know about the power that's at work in you. I don't feel powerful. I know that's the way it's supposed to be. God's grace is made perfect in my weakness. Right? He didn't give us the spirit that we might feel powerful or have wild experiences. He gives us the Holy Spirit that we might look more and more and more like Jesus. And you can't say that you're not able to grow in grace because He's put the same power in you that raised Christ from the dead, that sustains everything that is. The power of God is working for you and in you, both to bring you to faith in Jesus and to make you like Christ. Remember when we talked about earlier in another sermon, I said this is yours. No condemnation and no excuses. God calls us to grow in grace. He works in us to grow in grace. We have everything necessary to grow in grace. We are indwelled by the Spirit, not because we've repented enough or done enough or cried enough or prayed enough, but because He's brought us to faith in Jesus, He has taken up residence in us. See, He didn't leave you impoverished. Certainly He wants to know how weak you are, so you depend upon His strength and the cross just gets bigger and bigger in your life. But what Paul is clarifying here in Romans chapter 8 is there's no such thing as a Christian who's not in the Spirit. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't have the Spirit. That when you came to faith in Jesus, God's Spirit took up residence in you. Think about that old covenant reality and that temple that sat there and God dwelt with His people. He was with them. Yes, He was powerfully at work in Old, in old Testament saints. and we don't, That's not the sermon this morning. But that Old Testament temple showed us God's presence in the midst of His people. He was present with them. But what I'm telling you is that pictured for you a new covenant reality that He is present in you. Because remember, Christ is the temple, He told. And what? guess what? In Him, you are the temple. See, we're moving from old covenant shadow to new covenant truth and reality. We're moving from shadow when it comes to the temple, shadow when it comes to the people, to fulfillment. There's movement. That temple showed us Christ. And it shows us us in Christ. And it shows us the fact that He's in us by His Spirit. God dwells in you. Look what Paul said. Same Paul. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 
through them to us, truth of the Word of God. And I, he, As He asked them, I ask you and I ask me. He says this in verse 19, Do you not know? What is the implication when somebody says that? You should know this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Do you not know that your body... Yes, this dying body, this decaying body, the one that's not redeemed yet, the one we look forward to getting rid of and getting a new body, and that's coming. This flesh where remaining sin dwells, and we have that battle between our renewed spirit and that that flesh. But look what he says. Do you not know? You should know. This is fundamental, foundational. This is base truth. Your body, look at the fulfillment. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What did the temple do? It provided a place in which, where God manifested His special presence in the midst of His people to guide, lead, bless, grow, teach, all of that. Your body, Christian, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. And if you've read Corinthians, you know those people had a lot of messed up stuff going on. But Paul's rooting them in who they are. He's rooting them in their identity. He's telling them what's true of them so that that might inspire them to trust God, to believe who they are, to believe what they have, and put off and put on the things he calls them to. You, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Notice where Paul's taking them. No condemnation and no excuses. You've been purchased by Christ. You're His now. You're not a pauper. You're a child of the King. You have the Spirit of God living in you. Everything necessary for life and godliness through the Word. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You in Christ are the permanent temple that was pictured by the temporary temple. The Spirit dwells in you. Back to Romans 9. So you, what makes you in the Spirit is the fact of whether or not the Spirit lives in you. And if you're trusting in Christ, Romans 9 is telling us that if you're trusting in Jesus, if you are in Jesus, the Spirit dwells in you. I don't feel him. Who said it was about that? Isn't that how we live? We don't believe something's true unless we feel like it's true. I don't sense him. I don't have any wild experiences. Praise God. That's not what it's about anyway. You having wild experiences. It's about walking by faith and not by sight. It's about believing God's word. It's about trusting Jesus who said he, he is with you and he will be in you. And now that's been accomplished so that Paul is saying Pentecost has come. The spirit has taken up permanent residence in all of the church. And all of the church is empowered for ministry. See, I'm going to do this quickly, but in our hermeneutics class recently, one of the things we looked at as far as how to interpret the Bible, the teaching portions are to interpret the historical portions. Why? Because many times historical portions report times of transition. 
They're not meant to be patterns from, from now on. There's just times of fulfillment and times of transition. And Pentecost was that. A one-time, non-repeatable event in fulfillment of what was predicted, such in Moses' prayer that God would put His Spirit on all His people. The Spirit was poured out on the church. All of the church. Signaling that would be the reality in the new covenant. And it is. You can see that by the time we get to Ephesians. Paul says, if you're trusting Christ, you have the Spirit. So Acts 1 and 2 is not meant to set the pattern for every person who ever comes to faith or every church. And that's just that's a misunderstanding. That's a bad interpretation of the Bible. I don't need a first and a second work of grace. I've got the work of grace in me having the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you don't believe it, you won't count on it, right? I could put a million, well, I started to say I could put a million dollars in your bank account. I don't know. I'd have to rob something if I did. But if you don't believe it, you're not going to cash checks on it. If you don't believe the Spirit is in you, you're not going to depend upon Him and believe Him and walk in the power that He gives you. Just as God, Scripture was fulfilled. That's what we see happening in Acts chapter 2. Pentecost, Spirit pouring out, setting a new tone, new reality. This is new covenant reality that the Spirit as He was pictured, as He dwelt in that type and shadow with the people in that brick and mortar temple. Now He's taken up residence in the true temple, which is Christ and in Christ us. In the new covenant. The Spirit permanently indwells every believer. Therefore, if you're trusting in Christ this morning, you're in the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. But He doesn't just live in you. He didn't just come to live in you and to make you feel good and make you have some experiences. And, and, and that's not what He came to do. He came to transform you. Point number two. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, you have new life. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. Yes, look at Christ. Look to Christ. Look at verse 10. He says, following the heels of, if anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but, strong adversative there, if Christ is in you by his Spirit, if you have the Spirit, Although the body is dead because of sin, yes, the reality is still true. I still live in this dying, decaying body where sin remains in the flesh. Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, because of the righteousness of Christ, because of the redemption that is ours and us being made children of God and clothed in righteousness. And I could go on down the line. The spirit is life. Yes, the body is dead, but the spirit is life. New creation spirit in you, yes. Living in an old decaying body that will be replaced. But the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is the one who brings life into that situation. Spiritual life. New life. He produces life. Resurrection life. Yes, it's true that we will die. Yes, we will die, but we will be raised from the dead because Christ was raised from the dead. And the Spirit will empower that. He raised Christ. He will raise us. That's all true. But we're talking about sanctification here. And He's telling us that we have the life that we're supposed to have because the Spirit dwells in us. 
Although the body is still subject to death, spiritual life prevails for those in Christ because the Spirit is dwelling in them. Look at that. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Now, through His Spirit who present tense dwells in you. Yes, we'll be raised from the grave on the last day. Yes, but we have life now. What life? New life. That life he promised in the very first parts of chapter 6, being in union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, having died to sin and alive to righteousness, where we've dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We are alive to this growth because the Spirit is at work in us. If if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit, and if you're in the Spirit, you have eternal life, and that will manifest itself through the Spirit's presence in your life as you grow in Christ. Grace. Having the Spirit, you will grow in grace. Remember the end of the last sermon. You you can, being in the Spirit, you can please God because you're empowered by the Spirit to do it and grow in doing it. Not perfection, but grow. More and more we'll die to sin and live for righteousness if the Spirit is in us. See, what I want to do is get our eyes... When, we, when we're talking about the Spirit, and there's so much weirdness that goes on in the church about the, the Holy Spirit and what it means to be filled with the Spirit. I just want to get our eyes off that and get our eyes on the main thing. What's the main thing? It's certainly not that. What's the main reason the Spirit is in us? It's to make us like Jesus. And therefore, the main proof that Paul gives to the Galatians. Notice when Paul wants to show the Galatians what their life will look like because of the Holy Spirit, he doesn't mention anything about sign gifts or any other stuff. He goes straight for Christ-likeness. And I don't care what you do. Out there, I do, but... I don't care how many miracles you think you're performing or happening in you. If there's not growing Christ-likeness in you, that's a deception. Think about the people who will stand before Christ in, in Matthew chapter 11 and say, didn't I do this? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. You whose life doesn't growingly look like Jesus. You had a lot of religious stuff going on and you even had some showy stuff going on, but you never knew me. Don't be distracted by the falderall. Focus on the reality of the purpose of the presence of the Spirit. It's that you might have life, God kind of life, growth in grace, sanctification. The main proof of the presence of the Spirit in your life is the fruit of the Spirit. That's where Paul goes in Galatians, right? Read it. He doesn't mention anything about signs and wonders or any of this other stuff. He says, here's how you know. Here's where the test is. Are these qualities yours and growing? If the Spirit of God is in you, these qualities are yours and growing. And if they're not, He's not. Look at them. The fruit of the Spirit. Stop. Fruit there. It's, what does the Spirit produce? It's like an apple tree. The fruit of an apple tree is apples, right? 
because the tree produces apples as it feeds on the nutrients and all of that. The Spirit produces these kind of things in the life of the people He's active in. We all know the list, but have we dug into the list? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Stop. What is the fulfillment of the law? Love. This is certainly talking about primarily love for God. Also love for neighbor. And then love for brother and sister the way Christ has loved us. Listen, I'll mention this and I'm beyond it. One of the things the pandemic showed us is that we all have a lot of room for growth in loving one another the way Christ has loved us. But if the Spirit's in you, you're going to be a person of love who loves the Lord your God preeminently. That's, that's your, your highest calling and, and, and loves your neighbor as yourself. And then the, the upper tier, those of us who are in Christ, He just amps it up and says, you're to love one another the way I've loved you. Self-sacrificial love. If the Spirit's at work in you, He's going to produce that kind of love. You will live a life that's not primarily about you, but about Him. And therefore, look at the next one, you'll have joy. Joy. You'll have joy and it'll be growing. Don't look for perfection in any of these, right? But are they present? Do you have joy in the midst of the struggles and hardships and trials of this life? The Spirit will give you and grow you in having the peace that passes understanding if He's in your heart. As you love, you'll experience joy and peace. And wow, look at this one, convicting patience. Are you patient with those around you? Maybe especially those who don't agree with you. Are you patient with them? Those you'd never hang around if it wasn't for Jesus. And come on, y'all, it's like that, right? There are people in the church that, that we're just not wired to connect. It doesn't seem like. We are, but. But are you patience with one another, even though maybe you're very different? Are you kind to one another and good to one another and faithful to one another? Look at this one, gentleness. How many of us have failed at gentleness? Are you gentle in your home? Are you gentle in your home? Wives and husbands, are you gentle with one another? For some reason, we let the restraints off in the home if we're not careful. We're meanest to those that are closest to us. That's not gospel living. That doesn't testify to the fruit of the Spirit. Do you have self-control? You really only know you have self-control when stuff's rubbing against you the wrong way, don't you? It's easy when things are going your way. Oh, look at me. I'm in control. And then somebody presses that button. Threatens that part of your idol's house that you're clinging to. And you... See, the Spirit will make us people who are loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle... Under self-control because we're under the Spirit's control. And against such things there is no law. See, if you're in Jesus Christ, Paul says, you have life. Life now. He will give life to your mortal bodies. I mean, when after Christ comes, we'll have immortal bodies. This is talking about now. 
He'll give life, sanctifying life to your mortal bodies. How? By His Spirit who dwells in you. Listen, don't look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, I'm not perfect in that and I'm not perfect in that and I'm not perfect in that so I'm lost. No. But examine yourself. Where are you on the scale in each one of those? Is it there and is it growing? That's what we're looking for. Growth, not perfection. We will be perfect when we're glorified. So don't try to set a glorified standard now. But also don't, don't just be nonchalant about it and not worried about whether or not you're growing. Because the Spirit doesn't produce that in our hearts anyway. If you have the Spirit, you have life and you will grow in grace. And if you're a Christian, you have the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. You have new life and you will grow. So just two quick points of application. If you're in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit has taken up permanent residence in you. You are God's temple. And it's not based on anything you do. It's a promise to all those trusting in Christ. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. Look at me. Believe it. Why? Because the Word says it. Don't look at anything in you or your situation or your circumstance. Look at the Word. This is what God says that settles it. You've, heard, you've seen the old bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's wrong. God said it, that settles it. Whether or not I believe it. But you want to own it, right? So God said it, that settles it, I believe it. Believe it. Look to the Word and believe it. Look to the cross and believe it. Look to the resurrection of Christ and the reign of Christ and the promises of God. Believe it. The Holy Spirit of the living God is at work in you, the same Spirit that hovered over the waters in creation, that put everything in place and is sustaining everything. Is at work in you. But His purpose in you is to make you like Jesus, not make your hair shoot sparks. Not make you dance in unknown steps. Believe it. The Spirit's in you if you're trusting in Christ. Number two, if the Spirit dwells in you, He's giving you new life. Resurrection life. Christian life. Growth in grace life. Union with Christ life. What we've been studying. If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, He's giving you life. He's, what does that mean? He's empowering you to grow in living for Christ. Don't look for perfection, look for growth. But the Spirit, if He's in you, He's empowering you to grow. No, con no condemnation, no excuses, right? Listen, if you have nonchalant attitude about, I, I don't know if I'm growing, don't really care. I don't really, have, I don't really care to read the Word, to pray in my family, to pray with the church, to, to, to grow... That's not the attitude of a person that the Spirit's dwelling in. Therefore, that's not the attitude of a person who's really in Christ. And you really want to know that now. You never want to... I, please, don't go from here and stand before Jesus and hear Him say, Depart from me. I never knew you. Take these things seriously. Go before the Lord. Search me. Try me. Know me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If I have true faith, show me that. And we're going to talk about assurance in the upcoming sermon. If I don't have true faith, show me that. Because there's a lot of people who make profession of faith 
who don't really have faith. Jesus said many. Go back and read the end of Matthew 7. Many will say to me on that day, you're being mean, preacher. You're just supposed to make me feel good. Where did you get that idea? I'm supposed to prepare you to die. And if I can prepare you to die, I've prepared you to live. If I can get you leaning on Christ and believing what His Word says, that's what I'm supposed to do. Believe it. You have the Spirit. You have the power for a new life. Yeah, I know. Sometimes a Christian's life looks like he's walking in the flesh. I know. Sometimes we backslide. I know. But the Spirit won't leave you there if He's in your heart. Think about David after he committed adultery and had Uriah killed. He wasn't talking about it and he's still going to the temple and it looks like everything is fine in his life. But go read Psalm 32. God was crushing him on the inside. He felt like his bones were being crushed. So that when Nathan finally came and said, You are the man. The Spirit used that. He humbled himself and he repented. Yes, you do backslide, but don't, don't love it and dwell there. Don't be comfortable there because the Spirit won't leave you there. And if you don't feel any pressure there and you don't feel like God's convicting you there, that's not a good sign. Because if the Spirit is in you, He will be faithful to convict you and bring you to repentance. What does Hebrews 12 tell us? God disciplines those He loves. Like a good parent, he disciplines his kids that they might partake in his righteousness. Same one that told us, spare the rod and spoil the child. That's still true, by the way. Some of y'all try to explain the rod away. Well, we just need to give them a little time out. No, sometimes you need to get a hold of that rear end in the right way. Not in anger. Not in anger, not to make because they've offended you but to show them that sin costs them something, that brings pain. It will destroy their lives. Don't be smarter than God. He said the rod of correction, not the rod of beating, not the rod of abuse, the rod of correction will drive that foolishness out. God disciplines us. He spanks us, spiritually speaking. All the kids are looking at me like, why are you saying stuff like this? Kids, have you ever had the experience? This is the worst. This is worse than getting a spanking. I don't know why I'm doing this. Maybe God wants me to do it. Anyway, have, the worst than getting a spanking is when your parents go tell you to go pick the switch. You go cut the switch. Oh, that's horrible. You want to cause some real suffering in your kid's life? Tell them that. Because we know if we come back with this little stick, they're going to go get the big one. We got to get just the right size. And then sometimes you go through 30 minutes of agony and get back with it and they say, now did you learn something? And don't even go through with it. But a lot of times, a lot of times they did go through with it. And I'm going to tell you, I needed it. God disciplines His children. Trust Him. You have the Holy Spirit. Trust Him. He's at work in you to make you like Christ. I don't give you homework necessarily for many sermons, but this is your homework. Go home and meditate on the fruit of the Spirit. Look at that passage and meditate on each one of those fruits and ask God in each one of those, Lord, am I loving in Christ Jesus? Am I patient? Am I gentle? Am I 
Go pray through the fruit of the Spirit, asking God to show you where you fall short and trusting Him to empower you to grow in each one of those. Go meditate on the fruit of the Spirit. Let me review our question and I'll stop. From the Shorter Catechism number 35, what is sanctification? That's what we're talking about. Gives us an answer. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace. Hallelujah. I don't have to earn it anymore than I earn my justification. An act of His grace, justification. A work of His grace, sanctification. Whereby we are renewed, praise God, in the whole man after the image of God and enabled. Enabled by the Spirit to do what? Look at this. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what the Christian life looks like. If I have the Christian life, this will be present in my life. I will be enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. The Holy Spirit works in His people to be growingly holy because their God is holy. Our record is one of pure and perfect holiness, having come to faith in Jesus, being hidden in Him and justified, uh, accepted the judgment pronounced over us, righteous. Being adopted into His family, given the Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we might then walk that path of growing in grace. Have you had the divine shot for your sin ailment, which is salvation in Christ? the permanent inner presence of the Holy Spirit. If so, you will have growing new life. Christian, you are in the Spirit. If you're not, maybe you're an unbeliever sitting before me today. You're really sitting before Him, by the way. This could be your day. God says on the basis of the fact that He gave His Son to live for us, to die for us, to be raised for us, to reign for us. End of Acts 17, go read it. He commands all people everywhere to repent. So that's my call to you today. If you're not trusting in Christ, repent. Have a change in the direction of your heart so that you turn from setting your mind on the flesh and on this world and on all of that stuff. You, you turn and trust God and believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. What must I do to be saved? The Philippian jailer said, believe into the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Him and you will be saved, which includes being made right with God, grown in grace, and He will finish that work. Come tonight. We'll talk about perseverance of the saints and put some more meat on those bones. But remember our main point. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit permanently dwelling in you and giving you new life. So in Christ, no condemnation and no excuses. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us. Help us to love you and treasure you, to love and treasure your word, to believe your word. That if we are in Christ, we are in the Spirit. If we are in Christ, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in us. That we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that, Holy Spirit, you are here to grow us more and more like Jesus. So search us and try us and know us and show us where we fall short. 
work in us to grow in producing that glorious fruit of the Holy Spirit. After all, that list perfectly describes our Savior. Help us, Lord, to be like Jesus, which is, that is what it means to follow Him. Lord Jesus, make disciples even as Your Word goes forth. Work repentance and faith in those who know You and those who don't. Father, lift high Your Son and draw Your people to Yourself. Lord, we give You all the praise and we cry out for Your help and grace. In Christ's name, amen.